Hi, Stella. We had your friend Graham Linehan on today. I guess we could both call him a friend now. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, I was really, really glad to have him on. And I, I didn't think he'd kind of come on because he kind of, I don't think he kind of likes kind of long analytical conversations. But it was actually, I thought it was a very, I thought it was a nice conversation we had with him. And um, we, we brought him on mostly because of his book. He's got his book out, Tough Crowd. It's a lovely, it's a great read. I really recommend people getting it for Christmas for their, because it's a very good way for people to give it to their brothers or their uncles or their family members. And it's a way into trans through a comedy writer. And he writes a lot about being a comedy writer and, you know, the, the, the kind of the life he had. And then he brings trans into it. So it's, it's not kind of a book about trans. Yeah. It becomes a book about trans. So it's, it's a lovely read for people who mightn't be um, completely absorbed in the issue. But it was a good conversation I thought we had with Graham. He's a fascinating character. Yeah. You've known him for many years. When did you guys meet? Oh, we don't know each other for many years. Since 2018, uh, mm, we knew okay. each other. He he got into gender the very same year as I got into gender. And like I say, weirdly enough, I his my mother knows his mother. <laughs> That's very yeah. Irish. Yes. <laughs> and I know his, his sister and stuff. But yeah, we became friends. I suppose we're both Irish and uh, we're both from Dublin. And uh, we, there was kind of a kinship almost immediately with the two yeah. of us. And yeah. yeah, yeah, we've become friends, you know, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I'm very fond of him, actually. Yeah, he's very honest. He speaks with a real candor and like an enthusiasm and a kind of a truthfulness. And that's something I really appreciated about our conversation. And uh, it was really interesting to hear like all the kind of twists and turns. And of course, he's taken a huge personal... Uh, like a lot of personal criticism. And I mean, he was telling us that he's had something like 75 hit pieces written about him just in pink news alone. So, yeah. you know, I really admire his willingness to speak about something he feels very passionate about that he thinks is telling the truth and doing so at a great personal cost. You know, it's really a big deal. Could I say something about that? Because I got to know him, like he was so huge in 2018. He hadn't yet been cancelled. You know, the cancellation was coming. Yeah. And he, he was so huge and so famous. And everybody thought people would follow his lead. You know what I mean? That it was like when J.K. Rowling joined the debate. Everybody thought people will join in. They didn't. But yeah. he was the first very famous person to speak up. And I remember um, he became a kind of a HQ for gender that everybody would send him things to plug. And so he yeah. would be plugging this and plugging that and plugging the other just out of generosity and trying to lift everybody up with him. But what that looked like to the world was he was obsessed with gender rather than people were e messaging him constantly. Please plug this. Please plug that. Please mm. lift this. Please retweet this. Please this. So he was getting that all the time and I saw it and he would continuously because he's kind of got that generous and as he calls himself himself the white knight thing he likes to save people and mm -hmm. so he was continuously retweeting and plugging things all the time and then he he became obsessed as you would as we all did I certainly did but I do think that gets lost on people that there was a generosity at the heart of yeah. that you know yeah totally 
So I'll read his bio and then we'll let listeners kind of uh, hear it from the horse's mouth, as they say. So Graham Lanahan was born in Dublin and he's the mastermind behind beloved sitcoms, Father Ted, The IT Crowd, Black Boots and Motherland. His substack is dedicated to monitoring the extremes of gender identity ideology. And he also co-hosts the highly successful weekly YouTube show, The Mess We're In, which has garnered a remarkable 1.5 million views in just three years. So here's our conversation with Graham Linehan. Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Well, hello there, Sasha and Graham. Hi. <laughs> um, uh, this has been a long time coming. I think anybody who follows me and Graham would know that we're good pals and have been really since we first met each other over the <laughs> over the trenches of gender. But funnily enough, you know, my mother knows Graham's mother. So it's very Irish, really. And I know his sister. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. anyway, you're very welcome, Graham. And we're delighted to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a funny one for me because I kind of know you too well, but we're going to let Sasha lead the way maybe on this one. <laughs> but um, uh, I think I, I, I'm particularly delighted you're come up, you've come on at this point because you've just written this book. And I think this book is very, very important because it gives a proper representation of who you are and where you came from. And I think there was an awful lot of misinformation and disinformation on about you in the last few years yeah absolutely i mean one of the <clears throat> as far as i'm concerned the most important line in the book is um that i am the victim of village gossip on a global scale you know uh, as as are we all we've all been suffering because of this uh, the chinese whispers uh, uh spread by trans rights activists um with their kind of resulting effects on our careers and on our sanity um, so I realized that uh, Twitter never did it. I never seemed to be able to explain myself on Twitter, uh, even my Substack, which I, which I, you know, when I was banned from Twitter, I would update myself constantly, sending out posts almost as much as I used to send out tweets, you know. Uh, but like, um, uh, sorry, I can't, I can't remember where I was going. Um, but like. Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, it, for me, it's just been kind of firefighting, trying to explain what I what I believe, trying to explain that it's not bigotry, it's concern for these uh, kids and and uh, other victims of uh, of this movement. Um, but nothing was sinking in to to the extent that even my closest friends, and and sometimes family members, um, would repeat to me. Uh, rumors and lies that had been spread about me so I realized a book was the only way I could do it yeah and and you've been in this gender conversation for a really long time you and I have only interacted I think once we connected once and talked on the phone I believe some years ago but um 
I'm wondering what when you started to notice something amiss regarding the trans debate, did you think that there was a risk in speaking out or was the backlash you received a bit of a shocker to you? Because I think a lot of us feel uncertain of what is going to happen if we speak out about this. So can you take us back, I guess, to what did you notice? When did you speak out? And did you anticipate how detrimental it was going to be on kind of a professional level for you? Well, I think I, I followed a similar trajectory that, that a lot of people follow in this fight or, or the, the people who, who decide to enter it after a while who don't have such a, a, a personal or professional connection as, as you guys do. Um, and that's basically you research it. You, you, look at, you look into the issue and you see if you've missed anything and you lis- listen to the arguments and, and test them. And I did, I did spend a long time doing that and trying to figure out if I if I had got it right or not. You know, I remember one of the arguments I found extremely convincing when I first heard it and have since discarded uh, was the idea that there's always been trans people about. They're just braver now, you know, and that kind of stands up for about 10 seconds before you realize it's 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 uh, it's nonsense, because I, I to, 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 to put it one way, I, I really think Shakespeare would have noticed them. You know, because he noticed everything else in humanity. The fact that he missed this one, I just don't think it's likely. So, uh, and there's lots of other examples of of that. There's never really, you know, there's cross-dressing, of course, and there's uh, dysphoria. But I hadn't seen, it was only, it was only with this movement that I realized they were trying to say there was actually a, 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 uh, for a, a part of humanity that were quote unquote trans, and uh, I again, I, I in the early days I kind of thought, well, yes, that's that's probably true in the sense that some people are transsexuals and they need to go through these extremely um, uh, uh, grave uh, changes to their body in order to quell some restlessness in their mind. I thought that's fair enough. But soon I realized that they weren't the ones being talked about. You know, there was a there was a kind of a new cohort, which was transgender, which really meant anything anyone wanted it to mean. And it was around then that he started thinking, hang on a second. <laughs> you know, because it didn't really have, um, it didn't feel truthful. And it also felt too vulnerable uh, to being hijacked by bad people. Which is exactly, I think, what's happened. Uh, you know, the examples of, of, of male sex offenders in women's prisons and uh, uh, various different types of people who, who are using this movement to really just get what they want, you know. So once I realized there was all these things going on, I was getting braver and braver. Uh, and I guess the final, you know, thing that pushed me over the edge was, was knowing that it, this things were being done to children that I simply you know, did not agree with. Um, I couldn't find any... uh, Yeah, sorry, Stella. No, well, I'm I'm very interested. I suppose I I wanted to kind of... I wanted a little bit of a glimpse of where would you have been at, let's say, in the 90s. I know in the 90s would have been, I presume, the Father Ted heyday. And you would have been 
I presume schmoozing with all the other comedy writers. I don't know what your life was like, but where, where would what would have you, been your perception of trans then? Like, if you could just yeah, non-existent, what? non-existent. <laughs> like, I didn't even know it was a thing. Like, like you know, I knew there were, um, I knew about transsexualism, but I hadn't really, you know, the, the cliche they always say this is a tiny minority of people. You know, and sure, it was a tiny minority of people and it didn't really affect me. And um, it just wasn't an issue the way it became, you know. So it was only then, I think possibly, you know, if, if I'm being completely honest, uh, the moment where I realized that something was up was when I did the IT crowd episode. Because there was an episode where I had a trans character. And interestingly, you know, I think we did a lot of things that would be considered you know, great. We we cast a a, a cis woman. <laughs> I would never use that word. Uh, we cast a we cast a woman a, a, as the trans woman, um, and the character really loved loved uh, him her, and uh, you know, at the end, he kind of um, destroyed his own chance of happiness by breaking up with uh, with them because he couldn't get past that. Now, at the time. That felt that all felt right, you know. It all felt like a good story. Uh, it felt sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I did. I did end it with a huge fist fight between them, which 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 didn't win me many fans. I know that that was very very funny. Is that the same episode that had the internet? Yes, the internet in the box. You which know, is so of, funny. <laughs> yeah, which is one of the most kind of um, standout, uh, beloved episodes, and Channel Four banned it. You know, because yeah. of because of this uh, story. Do you know story this? Line. Do you know this? No, I no, mean, tell me. It's well, it's very funny, basically, because I always think of myself. You tell it, Graham. It's just very funny. Well, the the whole show is kind of about like like people who know a lot about computers and people who don't know a lot about computers. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, the person who's the boss in the office is the one who doesn't know about computers. Okay. So the the two two IT guys managed to convince her that they actually own the internet. And it is, it's in a small black box in the office, you know. So, and she's kind of carrying it around, terrified that she, that she, that she'll drop it, you know, that type of thing. And and it was great, but at the same time, you know, I just needed a a, a parallel a side story. Yeah, yeah. And so and that I always, was the trans. That, that was, was the trans thing. Trans story. Yeah. And it's based on this uh, incredible story. I don't. You, you won't know this person, Sasha, but there was a very famous sports presenter over here called Des Lynam. Oh, he was yeah. a very he was a very manly man with a salt and pepper mustache, and uh, he was he was quite the icon in the old days. And apparently, he uh, went on a date with a trans woman. And during the date, the woman said, oh, listen, just to tell you, I'm trans. And he apparently was eating and he went, okay. <laughs> 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 and he was such an unlikely person to, to not care. <laughs> and to just not care, of, yeah. That we just always found it very funny. So yeah. it stuck with me and I used it for this storyline. But um, I guess if I could go back, I might take out the fight because because that's what really annoyed people. But at, at the same time, again, I wouldn't do it. was funny. Do, it was slapstick. And I wouldn't do anything that these people tell me to do because they, they make it up as they go along. They make yeah. up what's offensive. They make up what's terrible, what's wrong. And did you get a lot of pushback at the time? What was that, 2013, 2012, something Yeah, like that? it was very early. And I, ju- and I did not understand, not, not the... 
I didn't see why the pushback was so vicious. It was different to the pushback that I was used to. And I think what I'd done is I just kind of early on stepped into the developing ideology where people were deciding all these, uh, all these kind of, uh, what do you, yeah, and thought terminating cliches and arguments. And I, I, I guess because of the pushback, and because every so often I'd get a message from saying, from some kid, you know, I might like a piece of art by someone, and they would they would reply, don't want no likes from no transphobes, man, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, was, I was getting um, used to this. Yeah. yeah. Am I right in thinking you were very big in the abortion debate in Ireland? It was only brought in in, what, 2016, 2018 or something. And you were a big figure in that debate. Well, yeah, as far as I remember, and I think you Helen, saw some, yeah. yeah, and I think you saw some trans input oh. there, yeah. Is that uh, yeah, right? we absolutely. We went to a a abortion rights march, and uh, me and my wife would go back as often as we could, um, and we 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 made this film for Amnesty Ireland that we were very proud of, and I really think had a huge effect on the uh, on the debate. Uh, but once we went back and there was a woman with a megaphone and she was saying, um, we want uh, the state to pay for abortions. And everyone went, Ray! And it was, and operations for trans people. And we were like, eh, oh, what? You know, it was like, where, where did that come from? You know, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. And, and that was like the first sign I had that trans rights activists were deliberately latching on to women's issues to try what's the word force teaming mm. and and I saw that happening and I thought this is weird and the other thing I noticed happening towards the end of the debate was that people started saying Glinner is a turf people who were in the same fight Glinner wow. is a turf and I had what been, year was this Graham around do you remember when the referendum was? Uh, I should uh, know. I'll look it up. It's presumably either 2018 or 2016. I really should know this. Okay. Abortion <laughs> referendum, Ireland. Let's all do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 2018. Wow, it's so late. Okay. Yes. Like abortion was only legal in Ireland in 2018. Extraordinary. Wow. Yeah. That, that's right. And, and it, it was my first... Um, it was my the first uh, experience I had of something I've become very used to since, which is if you're a, if you have a certain kind of profile in in, in 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 a fight like this, then people will try and find something to undermine you, and uh, that was the first time that happened. Glinner is a turf, so it was around then I think that I started thinking, what does turf mean, and looking it up and looking at the arguments and finding out what people thought and. and I think the very first thing that I shared that got me cancelled was an article by Heather Brunskill Evans. Uh, that seemed incredibly reasonable and was full of that thing that we all we all used to do, but we realised it didn't matter, uh, which was, uh, of course, trans people need to be this and that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something I gave up after a while. But like, like even even framed in that extremely thoughtful and compassionate way, that was it for me. That was it for me. That was when the attacks began. So when you started being called a turf at this at this protest or this rally, had you already been 
sharing your views and sharing that Heather Brunskill Evans piece? Or was that just based on the IT crowd episode that we were discussing a moment ago? Like, where was this idea in people's minds coming from that you were a turf even back then? Uh, yeah, I should make, make it clear. It didn't happen at the rally that I was getting. This was all okay. happening online. Generally, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, I think it was just a combined things. People were suspicious about me because I you know, I might make a tweet that goes, hang on a sec, what does this mean? Or what do you, what do you mean mm -hmm. here? Mm -hmm. And and then when I finally kind of thought, okay, I'm, I'm jumping in with both feet uh, and shared the Heather Brunskill Evans uh, okay. thing, that's when they realized, oh, okay, he's, he's all in. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are. We just wanted to take a quick moment and say thank you to all of our listeners. Your support is the fuel that keeps this train running. So please be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platforms. And do be sure to check out the conversations that are happening on YouTube in the comments section. We think that we have some of the smartest, most engaged viewers out there, and we really appreciate all of the interactions. Also, we produce additional bonus content every week for our listener community on Patreon. Go to widerlenspod.com and click on join our listener community. Your financial support means a lot to us. And for those of you who are in need of parenting support and resources, we each have parent coaching membership groups. So please do check those out. You can find links to both of them at widerlenspod.com or in the show notes. And of course, you can buy our book, When Kids Say They're Trans, out now in the UK and coming out very soon in the US. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. So this then kind of became your thing. I mean, you are like as a non-Irish person, I had heard of the IT crowd, so like I knew your name from that, but I wasn't very, very familiar with you really until this became your thing. And it's stuck with you and you've stuck with it. And I wonder why and how and what has this done? I mean, I imagine you've amassed a number of really interesting, great new friends. Like I always say <laughs> the most intelligent, thoughtful and amazing people I could have ever imagined working with. Mm -hmm. I met through this work. Right. Yeah. So and I'm sure as a comedy writer, you knew some amazing and brilliant people. But like what has just becoming so deeply involved in this world done to you and for you? And with you. <laughs> well, you know, like, like I didn't want to get this involved. I didn't want my life to be uh, covering this issue. But uh, the stakes were so high um, that uh, I just couldn't. I, I, I was I, I, I the reason I was badgering people like John Ronson, who was an old friend about this type of thing is because, well, you know, for instance, John Ronson wrote the book, um, so you think you, so? You think you've been publicly shamed? Yeah. I, mm -hmm. Which, in fairness, I think is a great book. It's a very good book. It's a really good analysis of public shaming on Twitter. Yes, it really is. It is. So I thought he would be all over <coughs> an, an issue where women were being shamed at an almost industrial level. Yeah. That it was like a production line of women being cancelled and their, their careers destroyed. I thought he would think, oh, here's my next big, my next big subject. But what I didn't realize is that he had already completely fallen for the whole thing, hook, line and sinker. And he just was not interested because I think he knew that if he had uh, covered the subject properly, he himself, he also would have been uh, cancelled. 
Do you, do you think there was a point in the midst of all this? Because I presume you went to a, 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 a series of famous people. And was there a point where you went, oh, my God, I'm alone? Like, wh- 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 mm. where, where are they? Because you knew yeah. these people very well. Yeah, I, every single person I met, I thought they would be like, what? Children are being what? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I thought everybody would rush to help, especially since I knew so many people who called themselves feminists, who called themselves journalists, who called themselves, you know, satirists, and none of them had any interest. Uh, and as a result, I remained kind of isolated and alone. And uh, I just looked extremely, I was exposed uh, and and they were able to, to say I was a kind of monomaniac on the subject. But all I've ever been trying to do is get other people to cover it and, and, and do their jobs, you know? But as we all know, journalists just suddenly lost their pens when it came to this issue. You know, politicians uh, outsourced their common sense to their young assistants. Um, and, and even w- worlds that you would think would be impermeable, like therapy, and and other areas were captured. And so it was, I, I just, I, it, it took me a while to realize, but I was just on my own. There was nothing I could do. There was no, I couldn't convince anybody. The only person, and I put this in the book because mm-hmm. I do think it's so melancholy, is that I managed to convince, and he, he agreed like this immediately, uh, was James Dreyfus, who was an actor oh. who was in one of my first sitcoms. And I said to him, will you sign this letter asking Stonewall for a more grown-up approach Mm -hmm. to this conversation, a less toxic approach? And he said, yep, absolutely, immediately. And he hasn't worked since he did that, you know, because of me. It was my fault. Yeah. So, like, you know, he... And and all it was was a letter asking Stonewall to, to just can we calm the conversation down? And they replied with no within the day. And I, I think he's gay, is he? He is. James is gay. And also Which made James, it more relevant, you know, Stonewall, like, you know. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, there was another guy who I contacted, uh, Mark Gatiss, who, who is a, another gay actor. He's one of the guys behind Sherlock Holmes and... Um, uh, or the recent incarnation of Sherlock Holmes. Well, I think it's recent. It's probably about 15 years ago now. But like, um, and Doctor Who. And I said to him, will you sign this letter? And he went, ooh, oh, ooh, oh, I don't know. And then I never heard, I haven't heard from him since, you know. Uh, and his career is flying high and James hasn't worked, you know. Would you have, if you had had a crystal ball, was there a better way to go at it? I'm not saying this with my finger wagon. I'm just reflecting. Sure. You know, because it's gone so badly. Not not through any fault of your own. It's gone so badly for all of us. I wonder, no, you know. I, I, I know what you're saying. I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. I don't know. Maybe the first thing to do would have been to contact the Tavistock doctors, who I was suddenly in touch with, um, you know, and say to them, but I, I, you know what it's like. Everything that everyone does is they, they just try and destroy you, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm interested. I mean, obviously, I imagine you're following some of the unfolding events in the U.S. with our kind of comedy scene. And somebody like Dave Chappelle, for example, who has made 
Uh, you know, making jokes about something is very different than asking for a letter to be signed or a petition or, you know, it's a different realm, right? But in the U.S., when comedians address the trans topic in their set, in their, you know, performance, there's a lot of con uh, conflict about it. There's controversy. There's a lot of dust up, but their careers don't get damaged by it. I don't think they have... But I, I could be wrong. But what do you think? Because, you know, you took this issue in a very serious direction. You didn't decide to just make a bunch of comedic jokes about it. You were trying to fix a really serious problem with what's happening to women and children. But what do you think about comics who play with this from a cultural level and they don't really disappear or anything. If anything, I think at least yeah. in the world that we're in, Dave Chappelle kind of became a hero despite some of his quite sexist jokes and like other things that people may have issue with. So can you, can, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if I had had, uh, like I wasn't a stand-up comic, I was just a comedy yeah, a writer. writer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when you're a comedy writer, you need uh, uh, to build an infrastructure around you when you're making a show, which involves cast and, and yeah. crew and and you know, all sorts of things. So it wasn't like I could just go, hey, I want to do a comedy about this. And, you know, yeah. and, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd love to have been able to, to do what Dave Chappelle did because uh, I remember one of the very earliest things he said was something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, you can be whatever you want, but, but, but how much participation do I need to give, bring to this again? Something like that. Yeah. And, and it was like, he got it. He just knew it. And there was that yeah. famous, famous uh, routine he did about all the gay people in the car with the yes, lesbian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, that showed to me that he understood the issue. He obviously had gay friends. Uh, he understood the history of, of gay relationships, you know, like the way lesbians and gay men don't get on. It was all very, yeah. it was all very funny, very charming. And then he would, you know, in that same routine, he talked about queer uh, people who call themselves queer, you know, the which Qs, was a the yeah, the cues, yeah. And again, <laughs> ba bang on, bang on, just a kind of non-committal, pansexual kind of uh, 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 omnisexuality, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, that didn't really have anything to do with homosexuality or or lesbianism, you know. So, so yeah, I'd love to have been in the position where I could make people laugh about the issue. But I just got all the avenues closed off to me, you well, know? Yeah. And like, at one point I, th I thought of a funny idea. I thought, well, I'll do everything. I'll do what all these men are doing for real. I will pretend to be a woman and I'll get on uh, a lesbian dating app because all these men were doing it and invading these apps and women lesbians were complaining about it. So I thought, I'll do it. And I'll show mm -hmm. how, e how easily it'll be done. Mm -hmm, it, can, mm -hmm. it can be done. So I tilted my head. Uh, and I put she, she, her in my bio and um, uh, joined her. And again, it was one of those occasions. And I don't really know how I could have guarded against this or, or changed this. But I was pointing at some something and everyone just looked at my finger, you know. There was a very funny thing some 
you know, no one, no one cared about the men doing it for real. They just concentrated on me doing it to show that the yeah. men were doing it for real. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I got into, I got re-cancelled for that, you know? And I'm like, I'm trying to say, they're doing it for real. They're doing this to lesbians. You know, I'm doing yeah. it to show it, but they're doing it for real. No one cared. And so, um, yeah, everything I, every, every time I tried to approach it with humor, or to kind of uh, go back to my old persona as a comedy guy. It was always a disaster. <laughs> you have been tainted. I mean, the, the reputation now is going to kind of overshadow any interesting commentary you're trying to make. You've been tainted. Sure. Yeah. 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 But what can I do? All I can do is keep fighting. I'm not going to, you know, become a window cleaner. I'm going to keep fighting and, 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 you know, I kind of like hope that the stuff I'm putting on the Substack is valuable enough that people can look past whatever problems they have with me, you know, but who knows. We'd like to jump in here really quick and offer up a thank you to Genspect, one of our sponsors. Genspect is an international organization that offers a healthy approach to sex and gender. Genspect recently hosted the Bigger Picture Conference in Denver, Colorado. There, they introduced the Gender Framework, a comprehensive, non-medical means of dealing with distress about gender issues. Go to genspect.org to learn more. We'd also like to give a shout out to GETA, Gender Exploratory Therapy Association. If you're looking for a therapist for yourself or your child, check out the GETA directory. And if you're a clinician who is questioning the affirmation model and you're looking for resources and community, please consider joining GETA today. Visit genderexploratory.com to learn more. I wonder, though, I've often thought about where you were at, and I wonder, was there always a a strong political undercurrent with you? Even that you got involved in the abortion. I remember, I wouldn't have known you when you got involved in the abortion thing. And I remember at the time perceiving it as a, oh, that's funny. Your man from Father Ted into the abortion thing. It felt random at the time, if you follow me. So there was presumably a very strong political character there in you. That yeah, wasn't was... all just kind of funny comedy. You, you know what I mean? That must have been there. Yeah, I was always very, I was very, I genuinely believed in the abortion fight. I thought that like, you know, I, I was very heavily influenced uh, by, by reading The Cider House Rules by oh, John yeah. Irving, Irving when I was yeah. 16, 17. And before then, I had just thought abortion was the most terrible sin. And there was no conceivable uh, 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 reason that one would uh, allow it or have it happen. And then I read, read that book and it was so brilliantly argued that like, you know, the, the, the cliches we all know, there's no such thing as, uh, there's, there's only such a thing as, a, 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 no such thing as no abortion. There's there's only uh, unsafe abortions. Is that it? Something like that. I'm so tired. I can't legal, remember. Legal, yeah. yeah, you know, it's like it's like his argument in the book, and it's personified by the main character who does not agree with abortions himself, but because they're illegal at the time the book is set, he feels he has to do them. He has a moral duty to do them. Um, you know uh, that that's uh, that was. I found that very powerful. And, uh, you know, from that moment, I just became an evangelist uh, because I just thought it was such a backwards thing for Ireland not to have them. Um, and then, you know, when I was with my wife, uh, we, we, our, first, uh, our first child 
uh, had a, a condition called acrania, which meant they she would have been he or she would have been born without a, a fully formed skull, and would have lived only for a few moments and died. And oh. the the idea of, of of putting my wife or or a child through that was so horrific that you know it 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 was both you know a terrible story, but also uh, an opportunity in the sense that we could help show people that uh, it's not a, a decision that people enter into lightly and it's sometimes an incredibly necessary and you know important part of life so uh so yeah it was that simple really it was just like uh and you know i i didn't like i i I've, i guess it's i guess one flaw i have which has been pointed out many times is that i have a bit of a white knight complex and mm-hmm. um i don't like women seeing women bullied I mm-hmm. find it infuriating because mm-hmm. uh, I was bullied and uh, I don't like seeing it happen to to women, especially online, because when the discourse is so um, pointed and sharp and, 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 and hostile, it makes it hard, I think, for a lot of women to, to enter into it um, uh, because that's, you know, that that suits a certain type of man better than it suits a lot of women, you know? So mm-hmm. I wanted to, to feel like the internet was a safe place for women to speak. And um, it wasn't. It just was, it was just kind of over and over again, it was proving to be an incredibly hostile place. Like the previous time I, I, I got on my, my white steed and started trotting around the, the paddock, was um, was when <laughs> was during a, a, a thing that happened called Gamergate, oh, yeah. which which seemed to be for, seemed to me from my uh, uh, perspective at that time it seemed to me a, a, an attempt to get women to, to bully women off the internet. Um, subsequently, I found out it was a lot more complicated than that. I only really had half the story, and I think a lot of the people I was fighting were almost like canaries in the coal mine that were pointing out what we're fighting against now. Uh, a certain kind of censoriousness, uh, mm-hmm. a, a pearl-clutching uh, uh, kind of uh, attitude towards computer games or, or culture, um, uh, this kind of forced uh, PC correctness over everything. I think some of the Gamergate fight was about getting women offline. In fact, swatting became big during Gamergate. I don't know if you know swatting, but it's when they phone in a fake um, uh, uh, armed, uh, they try and get an armed response unit to come to your house by phoning in a fake call. Mm. So they'll say, oh, this guy's got a gun, can you come in? I was hearing all these stories about women opening their doors to SWAT teams. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and apparently the SWAT teams, their first... um, uh, priority is to kill the pet in the house because the pet what? is a yeah because the pet is a kind of uh, chaotic element that they oh. don't, they can't have going so these women with the, there were some these terrible stories happening and people have been killed by swatting you know so I just thought oh my god you know <laughs> it's hard enough to be a woman online without thinking a SWAT team is going to turn up at your house you know. Um, so I was fighting against it, but then as time went on, I realized that there was another thing going on, which was, as I say, it was a kind of a, it was the first time these authoritarian, uh, very woke voices were starting to push other people about, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't realize that 
I, I only had half the story. I ended up, Gamergate kind of ended and I thought I'd done very well, you know. I mm -hmm. thought I'd been a, a, a real champion, you know. But I now, you know, later I kind of realized, actually, I think I might have, you know, um, I might have not seen the wood for the trees there, you know. I want to just share something. This is a bit of a left field, but I, I'm interested in the way television writing has talked about or addressed the gender thing. And I remember a particular moment I was watching this show um, called, oh gosh, it's a show about, it's a, it's like an animated show for adults about puberty. I can't remember oh, the name of it Big now. Big Mouth. Big Mouth. Big Mouth. I loved that show. I was a oh, huge good. fan of that show. Yeah. And then one episode, they took a character. Do you remember this, Graham? Like, have, have I, you seen I, I, the I, episode that I'm talking about? I only know of the show. I've never watched it. It okay. didn't look to me it like was, I would enjoy it. Okay. Well, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But then yeah. maybe three or four seasons in, it's about high schoolers and going through puberty. And they have the personified monsters representing female puberty and male puberty. So this very sexualized woman monster and this male monster who, you know, causes the boys to masturbate into pillows and weird things like that. I mean, it was clever. Mm. But there was one episode where there was a character who was suddenly identified as trans, though the character was clearly like a feminine boy previously. And mm. there was a pamphlet, a personified pamphlet about puberty blockers, not tongue in cheek, Whoa. not satire, just a literal, almost an advertisement for puberty blockers. And I was sitting there on the couch. My fiance is watching me like steam coming out of my ears. I could not believe what they had done. And I, from that moment on, I couldn't even stomach the show. And I thought about this for weeks. I was thinking about writing into the, the writers of the show. I, I didn't end up doing anything with it because it upset me so much. Yeah. But what has it been like as a television writer, a comedy writer, watching the way certain narratives are just superimposed onto characters or onto plots, onto narratives in a way that's so superficial and so not even human. It doesn't even attract you to the story anymore. Like, what have yeah. you noticed as someone with, like, this is your field? Well, uh, it's an interesting thing, but apparently the lines at Disneyland are, are currently very short. Uh, if you want to get on a ride, uh, you don't really have much of a wait. You used mm. to, but now mm -hmm. you don't because uh, people are kind of uh, staying away and they are kind of registering their disapproval of what Disney has been up to the last few years. Uh, in terms of uh, a kind of forced diversity and a wokeism that 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 has really kind of infiltrated all their uh, uh, all their work, especially for kids and 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 in franchises like Star Wars and stuff like this. Um, and I think that the 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 reason why it's so um, unsuccessful uh, and it's turning people off to such a such a, an extent is because you know. A, a story like Snow White has survived for as long as it has because it's about certain fundamental things yeah. that that human beings love, you know. And when you um, start saying, "Oh no, we're going to have the prince as a as a abusive white male and stuff like that," it breaks that kind of um, I don't know that kind of um, uh, 
like I, I, one of the things I tried to get across in the book, I'm not sure if I, I did it brilliantly, but like I think within all of us, there's a kind of a, and I think Jung talked about this, Stella, you'd know better than me, or you both would know better than me, but like there's a kind of a sea of shared stories that we all have within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a very precious thing. I love it. I, I love that idea. And I love the fact that when I tell a story, I'm almost just kind of connecting with other people who who have the same understanding of what stories should mm-hmm. be and what the, what makes them interesting and stuff. And and uh, I think this co- these contracts are being broken between us and the audience and between us and our past, like like when you when you when you change the funda- meaning of a word as fundamental as woman then you're 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 doing a very kind of a a, a rough break with yeah. everything that has come before you know and i think those moments are are marked out in history by things like you know other times when there's been a kind of year zero approach to to life you know khmer rouge um, you know, communist regimes, whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. No, that's all old stuff. No, no, we're going into the future. Mm-hmm. This is the new mm-hmm. us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it just breaks a contract with 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 ourselves, you know. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, I think woke wokeism. I I have a, I have a feeling I'm I'm actually bizarrely slightly optimistic about it because as I say, once Disney shareholders realise we need to get those lines back up again. I think that all this stuff will be reversed. And, uh, you know, the equivalent of, like, the film that kind of ended the, the, the Hayes Commission censorship regime in America was Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. It came out and blew people away because the violence was so violent and the sex was so uh, raw in it. Um, and suddenly everyone just kind of realized, oh, yeah, this is what we want. Adult stories for adults, you know, mm. stuff, stuff that where we can see ourselves on screen, not things where you have to put one foot on the bed or one foot on the floor if you're sitting beside a woman on a bed, which was one of the Hayes rules, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what are you referring to? Sorry, what rules? Sorry, the, I think it was called the Hayes Commission, but the Hayes rules were the ones before, like it led right up to uh, the film Bonnie and Clyde in 1968, I think. And it was basically a series, a set of rules that meant that all the films from around that period, just before, they didn't really reflect what human beings were like. So you would, for instance, if you were, the be- you remember old movies where there's two separate beds, mm-hmm. like two single beds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are all those rules. And, uh, you know, it, it meant that there's a period of history where the writers had to kind of write around those strictures and everything was double entendres. And uh, like you might remember famously Bacall and Bogart uh, with, with them talking about breaking a horse, you know, uh, they're not yeah. really talking about breaking a yeah. horse, you know, yeah. it, it, it's things like that. But then the, the, after that period, uh, but, but like the vast majority of films were kind of neutered by these rules and were bland and boring mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. Doris Day and all this sort of stuff. So suddenly everyone remembered why they like stories and why they like tragedies and why they like violence and, and, and strong emotions. And uh, it led to, in the 70s, just the greatest decade of films, you know, Wow. I, did, I didn't know any of that, but I do know Me Bonnie neither. and Clyde and what a film. I can yeah. see why it blew everybody's mind. It is violent and it's really sexy. 
But yeah. I, I can see that people said, yeah, more of this. But on, yeah. on that point you were making, Sasha, I remember during lockdown, uh, my, my little girl used to read The Babysitter Club. And then oh, yeah. they did a Netflix version. I could see her horror kind of going, why, why are they sticking in a ta- trans kid into this? Because she yeah. knew her books and she knew yeah. the story. And it was bludgeoned in, in a very, and it wasn't from the books. It wasn't, they were, Netflix were doing a, a television series about the butterfly, or the babysitter club. And they stuck that in, ar- well, not arbitrarily, but was very definitely mm. put in. And I, I get the impression from you, Graham, there's a few people in the world, and I think you're one of them, that when they come across dishonesty, it's like you kind of lose your mind. <laughs> it's like, that's a lie. Yeah. Everybody yeah, yeah, stop yeah. everything. That's a lie. And you can't exactly. quite, you can't kind of go forward. It's like everybody has to see there's a lie here. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that's what happened. My own little analysis of you is that's what happened to you. You kind of, kind of said, oh, no, no, everybody, there's a lie happening. Yeah, how, yeah. I, I, it's like I, yeah. nothing can happen until we fix this. <laughs> it's like there, there's a very f- a funny internet meme called uh, like I think it's like a woman and she's going to bed and her husband is at the computer and um, and uh, she's saying are you coming to bed and he's going no something on the internet is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. Yeah, and, yeah. Somebody uh, said something wrong on the internet. <laughs> yeah, and I used to you know I I. I but then this happened and it was almost like the wrongness escaped the internet and it went into yeah. the worlds of medicine and, and uh, academia and all these other things. And, and that's when I thought, oh my God, it's, it's, it's bigger than just something written in on, on a blog post somewhere. It's actually infecting the world, you know. And, and it's certainly got a huge hold on, on mo- many people for whom they, they get into the a subject that become very, very obsessed. There is some thing about kind of gender obsession that happens to many of us. I wonder where do you see yourself in five years or, you know, where, you know, I, where, I, where do you think it's going now? You, not gender. Forget about gender. No, sure. Yeah, no, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I was interviewed today by RTE and, and, and they asked a similar question. And I said, I'm hoping that journalists will start to do their jobs and cover this properly so I can write some comedy. You know, I mean, it, 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 look, if I would not have been so obsessed with this if I thought someone else was taking care of it. But, like, you know, there seems to be this mass monkey, what's that monkey, see no evil thing, Mm -hmm, going on with so many people that I thought, okay, well, I guess it has to be fucking me then. You know, like, me just to do certain things I could do. I knew I could, uh, because I had so many followers, I could could get lots of um, people blowing the whistle on things. Mm -hmm, I could... mm -hmm you know, uh, offer them anonymity to tell their stories. You know, I, I was just talking today, Stella, I, I don't know if you remember, but I was once in contact with a therapist who said to me that um, kids would come into her in tears because they had been told that J.K. Rowling uh, wanted to kill them, you oh, know? Oh, God. Yeah, that wanted them dead, you know, wanted them to commit suicide. And she said, this therapist said to me, um, I can't tell them otherwise because they might report report me to my accreditation body, oh, you know? God. Yeah. And so I was hearing stories like that. 
I was hearing, I met, I know two women in Scotland who are self-excluding from rape crisis services because of the culture up there. Uh, I met a Keith, lovely man uh, on Twitter whose daughter is, you know, breaks my heart even to think about it, is disappearing before his eyes because she's taking testosterone, you know. And um, I, I couldn't forget these people. I couldn't, like... Um, I couldn't ignore what, what was happening to them. And, uh, you know, and I still don't see how anyone could. I don't see how anyone could ignore these people and these stories, you know. I wonder, will you go back to writing comedy or might you have been changed by this extraordinary thing you've been through? I wonder, you might go a different direction. <laughs> My problem is comedy writers do best when they're when they're just commenting and, and they're not really part of society. They are uh, floating somewhere around it, uh, sniggering at the back of the class. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, now I'm like central to to the to the story in a way that I never you know wanted to be. Um, I've always just been fighting for my reputation and trying to uh, counteract a, 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 a picture of me that's been painted out of my most impatient or angriest moments, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the more I was in it, the more isolated I was, the more I tried to do it, the worse things got, you know. And I don't know, in the end, it, I just figure, I don't think anyone could have done, I don't think there was anything I could have done differently. And unfortunately, yes, it's led me to... Um, a place where I'm in this very weird position in life. Certainly not the position you would normally associate associate with a comedy writer. But I will say this: uh, the stand-up goes. It's a good character for a stand-up. I I use my own um, uh, reputation to great effect with the stand-up. Sometimes. What and, do you mean? Uh, well, I have a routine, for instance, about travelling home on the day of Pride. So you do, I, you do do stand-up comedy a little oh, bit? Oh, I only recently got into it because it's oh. the only place I could do comedy, yeah. Okay, keep going. So I, I do this occasional act uh, at a place called Backyard, the Backyard Comedy Club, which is the only place where I could do it. And uh, I, I decided I'm not going to try and become a stand-up comedian because I think that I'm 55 now. I think I'm too old to do that, really. So I thought what I would do is just try and use my my position to uh, to kind of uh, just be myself on stage. And it's been going quite well, you know. But one of the routines I had was uh, I said that, and this is a true story, that I was once out in town. And uh, when I was in town, it was only when I got into town that I realized it was Pride Day, you know. And I said, uh, I have this routine where I go, uh, it's a bit like, for me, traveling around on Pride Day, it's like being a, a Jew in occupied France. Uh, and uh, I have this routine where someone <laughs> someone meets me and goes, um, so are you at Pride today? And I go, oh, uh, no, uh, no, no, I wasn't. Uh, oh, do you, do you not like Pride? <laughs> <laughs> and the punchline is uh, the punchline is he tries to catch me out by saying, um, uh, "We shall sing the song. I shall begin, and you shall finish it." And I go, "The song?" And he goes, "Yes, you know the song we all now sing in schools uh, when the parents are not informed." Uh, I'll go first, uh, and he goes, uh, "LGBTQ." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, and, and what's great is, um, you know, I have a lot of gay fans and, and friends who have made through this and they love that stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's nice getting, hearing laughter and knowing I can still do it. You know, so that's yeah. that's, uh, that's I remember, keeping me going. I remember you once said it. it was, I thought it was a sad and lovely story. You um, went to visit Magdalene Burns and uh, you rang me afterwards and she was dying. I think she died the next day. And you said uh, you went into her and <laughs> you can tell the story of what you said. But anyway, what you said to me later, which I thought was lovely, you said, well, I made her laugh and I thought job done. And I thought... Isn't that oh. nice? You know what I mean? Uh, what yeah, you did? I yeah. know what you did. Do you remember? No, I don't. I do. I, I remember, remember you telling me. So she was dying and you went into, I shouldn't laugh, but it, it was kind of bittersweet. But you went into her, her bed and you started saying, well, you know, it's all so difficult and da, 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 da. And she, she presumed it was about her. And she, you went, no, I'm talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> and she started laughing. And then you yeah, thought to yourself, right. you'd set it up. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. thought, lovely, job done. And I just thought it's, it's such a, a lovely gift to be a comedy writer, to think I, I'm going in to make them laugh, properly laugh. I, I, to be able to do that in life, it, yeah. it's just a lovely, generous thing that that was your mission. I'm going to go in and I'm going to make her laugh. And that's all I can do and I'll do it. And you did. Yeah. I, I, I remember just thinking. Thanks, oh, Stella. That? I forgot yeah. about that. You yeah, know? I remember I thinking it was lovely. It. it was a lovely story. Yeah. And I loved yeah. the idea of somebody who's dying genuinely laughing like bursting out laughing yeah me too yeah. you know, Magdalene yeah. Burns for, for our, a lot of our audience will not know who she oh, is oh yeah Sorry. She was a, a lesbian YouTuber. No, don't be sorry. I mean, it's yeah. great. It's great because this is such, she was such an important figure. She was a YouTuber back in the early days, like 2015 and 16. Yeah. And she would just make these very dry, cutting, kind of sarcastic videos pointing out the absolute lunacy of a lot of this trans stuff and men claiming to be lesbians and you know, this really famous Alex Drummond, I think, with the beard yeah. calling himself mm. a woman and saying he was queering womanhood because he fixed cars. And she would just straight face, just kind of poke mm. fun at these people. And she just yeah. had an amazing way of cutting her videos. <laughs> and I think a lot of like current YouTubers who I like won't name, like kind of imitated her style. She was brilliant. And she, yeah. she sadly, she died of what, a brain tumor? I mean, yeah. it was something really, and she was so Around young. 35, 35 yeah. years old. I yeah, remember yeah. I saw, we were doing that film in 2018 and we were at that Bristol event and she, um, I remember the, the Channel 4 people were doing all the footage and she was kind of pushing them out of the way to get her own footage. And I remember at the time thinking, yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. what is she doing? And I remember yeah. at the time thinking it was irritating because it was like, get let them have the good footage. A year yeah. later, when I saw us getting cut to ribbons and all that footage getting edited, 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 I remember mm. thinking back, thinking she was dead right. She was yeah, saying, get yeah, the hell yeah, out of yeah. the way. I'm getting my own footage. I'm not relying yeah, yeah. on yeah. your footage. So, I, you know, she was very forward thinking, you know. And she was. Yeah, and, you know. And she, and she was also, I'll tell you what she did, which, which was... Um, uh, which I think is why I found her so compelling was she she showed uh, she showed you you could laugh at this stuff yes. you know she wasn't like 
respectful at all. What did she say? And, the the and minds are so open, their brains have fallen out. She said about yes. Stonewall, your minds are yes. so open, your brains have fallen out. Yeah. yeah. And and she was also, you know, and also, you know, I, I, I find her battle that she had so incredibly moving because, yeah. like, she was... I remember once she said to me, she thanked me for saying something. I can't remember what it was. I was doing something, something brilliantly noble, as I always do. <laughs> and uh, and she said, um, and she said, thank you. No one, no one uh, listens to lesbians, you know. And it was such a simple thing. And 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 I subsequently found out how true that, you know, no one was listening to them. No one was. Everyone was ignoring the fact that their spaces were being invaded. Mm-hmm. That they don't have dating apps anymore mm-hmm. you know I, it was around then I started realising holy shit there's no lesbian bars in California like yeah. in California there's yeah. no lesbian bars so it was things like that that made me realise how like she especially the the kind of the grinding heel of gender ideology was really grinding down into her. Mm-hmm. And she was waging a very lonely battle. She mm-hmm. was so impressive in so many ways. You know, so she, she, she should have had a, she was uh, uh, asked to work at Google and she turned it down. You wow. know, she's a yeah. smart, smart She was very woman. smart. I mean, you could mm-hmm. tell she was really smart. Yeah. You know, yeah. earlier, Graham, you mentioned that the way a comedy writer really shines is by kind of being on the outside of a situation, making observations, kind of making jokes about it. And of course, as we've been talking about, you're in the center of this gender thing. So you could hardly mm. be classified as on the side. What are you on the side of that you find interesting that like if you were able to get out of this gender thing and one day you're writing comedy again, like what are the funny cultural things that you're noticing now? With a bit of distance. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I, to be honest, with, I wish I could be a little cheerier, but, like, I'm sure you feel the same way that it, the recent recent events have been so, yeah. uh, you know... I, I, I'll tell you what I am noticing, and I do okay. think that there, there's a funny, a funny thing in here, but maybe not quite yet, but in okay. a while. For me, the, the story of the last 10 years has been the story of humanity with no one at the wheel. You know, we, we don't really, like we've had Biden who doesn't know what's going on, Trump who was in a world of his own. Over here we have a series of kind of middle managers taking over with very little difference yeah. between the parties. Um, there's, you know, the fact that like we now have a situation tomorrow in, in London where the people are going to be trying to observe the uh, Remembrance Day while at the same time there's going to be a massive demonstration for Pal- pa- uh, uh, Palestine. That's going, God knows what, what things are going to be like at the end of this weekend, you know. Um, and it's all because everybody just kind of um, uh, absolved themselves of any responsibility for anything. You know, like Rishi, Rishi Sunak, for instance, Rishi, Rishi Sunak, I'm tired, so I'm, I'm yeah. saying it wrong. But he, he, he could easily by now have said, no, sorry, and explained it for the, for the rest of the country. Uh, conversion therapy for gay people. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Pro- that's, that, that's a problem. But conversion therapy for, for, for trans people is, is meaningless because it mm-hmm. just means, it just means uh, watchful waiting, and it means uh, a holistic approach to uh, a very, you know, uh, complicated problem. Uh, he could have done that at any time, but none of them do, because no, they've all got this attitude of 
it's just not really quite my problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's a kind of uh, incurious aspect uh, to people who should know better. Journalists abdicated their responsibilities. Uh, 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 politicians but, did. But to answer Sasha's question, you're the kind of say, nah, there's nothing else in my life. But is there, is there a kind of, <laughs> is there something, uh, the way you went there, is it politics? Is, is, is that kind of, you know, no? You said nobody's so. at the wheel. I know, but I don't want to drive the car either, you know. I want to write comedy, (laughs) you know. It's like, it's like uh, all, like... uh, But you you are, you are free to write comedy. You'd be writing about the driverless car, which is a metaphor for the whole planet, is what you're kind of saying. The driverless car is here, so this is actually a perfect metaphor. Absolutely. But then again, what's difficult is writing a comedy about the driverless car when you're in the back seat of the driverless car. Mm. And that's how I feel at the moment. I feel that the world is too chaotic and too frightening to really be able to settle down and go, well, let's take a sideways look at it all. You know, it's 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 too it's too febrile is that how you pronounce that Uh, it's too febrile an atmosphere it's too and and also you know I can't get anything on camera I can't get anything on screen because I'm considered um, evil you know so um, I just have to I think unfortunately the 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 canoe I'm rowing is the only one I have at the moment. Well, you know? this is going to be your big break because you are under <laughs> a wider lens right now. So get ready, Graham. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. fame is coming now. <laughs> I'll just I'll turn, close the computer and just stare at my phone. <laughs> um, we're just coming up towards the end. Can I, I, I ask one question uh, that's kind of itching at me you know earlier on you said you were bullied and you then said and I particularly don't like women being bullied why what what is the big thing about women this white knight thing it 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 does feel very extraordinary well Debbie Hayden uh who is uh uh, my friend despite everybody telling me I shouldn't be friends with Debbie Mm -hmm. um Debbie Hayden put it best a trans woman just Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. a, a UK trans woman who is also GC, although his uh, his uh, assistance is not always appreciated by people, which is understandable because there's been so many uh, 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 terrible kind of overstepping of, of marks in this that people don't don't trust Debbie, even though Debbie's been consistently uh, on the GC side. Um, uh, and even that, to- even that term GC, I would say. I don't know how you think about it, Graham, but like after a lot of events from the last few days, we're just. Uh-huh. Kind of, I would say GC is no longer something that I really consider myself a part of. But sorry to interrupt there. I just want to make sure to say something because a lot of fresh stuff I, is on my I, mind. I can only contribute a bitter laugh. Now keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, all, all, all I'll say is that the people who I've collected throughout all this, and I think Stella, you're the same as me, are people who are individual and don't you know they 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 they're stubborn and they are um yeah uh, they, they think about the nuance and they you know they they try and see the humanity in everyone um these are all good qualities mm-hmm. but i understand why why some people feel they have to be put to one side mm-hmm. to fight back against a terrible encroachment on their rights you know so i think debbie understands that as well and debbie mm-hmm. is sometimes quite but you were um, going to say something that debbie hayton said you lined it all up 
Yeah, Debbie about said. Women. Debbie, yeah, Debbie once said they're the bullies. She he was he was talking about t- trans rights activists, and Debbie understands why I use male pronouns. Uh, mm-hmm, I've, I've, mm-hmm. We've spoken about this, but he was talking about trans rights activists, and he said. They're the bullies even the other bullies hated at school. The mm. bullies who bully girls, you know? Mm. And and that's what it is for me. It's like, it's too easy to bully girls, you know? Physically, men can bully them by just standing over them, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, uh, they're men are stronger, men are, men are, you know, more aggressive. Testosterone gives men uh, what you might call a mobster's edge in life, you know? Um, but like, uh, uh, and, and also I think online and when they, when people are speaking, voices are quieter. A lot of women don't feel confident enough to, to, um, uh, to be forthright in certain ways. And I think it's the, I don't want to sound like an arsehole, but I just think it's the responsibility for those of us who, who, whose voices do carry and, and, you know, I, 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 I have a temper, and um, uh, I have to be careful of that and stuff like that. But I, I think it's important for us to make it safe for every voice to be heard, even if they're very quiet voices, you know. And some may see that as paternalistic, or but but all I see it as is um, uh, an attempt to try and make it a, a, a kind of a civilized space for everybody, you know. Yeah. I mean, that might sound weird coming from me, but as I say, sometimes my anger gets the better of me because you know i just get insulted a hundred times a day as a, as yeah. a bigot and a, a you know whatever so i don't know i just think uh it, it's a it's a good thing to be um i've always been t- my dad always taught me hold the door open for women you know cl- clean up the dishes whatever it happens to be let them have a lie-in on saturday you know that was <laughs> the, there were all these things that he just did instinctively and I think they're good practice for men you know so yeah I took it online because it was like online where I was spending most of my time well I'm glad you did I I (laughs) I I try to look at people's intentions I mean this came up actually a lot at Genspect right Stella like the intentions (laughs) matter and I think your intentions are really positive and I'm grateful that you do whatever it is that you do, even if some people find it paternalistic. I'm really glad that you do what you do. Oh, thank you. I, I'm I proud to call you a friend. I really am. Oh, and vice versa. Very much so. <laughs> oh. Very much so. I mean, so, you know, really, in the end, <laughs> my God, we've been on the right side and we've, we've, we've met some incredible people, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. in a way, uh, it's been tough, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it, you know. Well, we'll let the main audience go here we are going to keep you on though because we have a special question that we ask all our guests which is part of our dinner party conversations and what we're trying to ascertain is like how do we aside from our podcasts and our youtube channels and our writing how do we talk about this in real life in a way that's effective so before we jump over there of course we're going to link your new book in the notes which we hope everyone will read um, yeah. You have, of course, a YouTube channel and a show that you do with Artie Morty. You guys are still doing that show, right? And Helen Stanley. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we'll link that anywhere else that you'd like our audience to go to. The Substack, please. Yeah, and, uh, Substack. yeah. Like the Substack is basically my, like, if the book does well, that'll be one thing. But the Substack is my regular income. So okay. if people, yeah, that would be the book. People, the book is phenomenal. 
and your substance. Oh, book. thank you. The book is a really lovely book. It's a very generous book. It gives an awful lot of, you know, insight into writing and the craft of it, and you know the the, the kind of the. Uh, it's a very, it's a very, it's just a lovely book to read. It's really, I really, really would recommend people getting it. Oh, I just, I just think it's a lovely read. And it yeah. gives sides to you that I know, but I think other people don't know from Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, very probably. It does. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.